Hi everyone, Renee here and welcome to the second part of this two-part series on the future of international assessments. In the first part, we learned about the key components of international assessments. We also learned about the key criteria needed to produce an influential assessment and the challenges we face and where we go from here. In this second part, Tyndall Center Director Robert Nichols and Professor Bob Watson talk about the key things in climate assessment and related areas that are currently in progress. We also talk about an assessment of where we are today. Are we on track with our biodiversity and climate goals? And lastly, we discuss what we need to do to address the environment and development challenges that we face today in the 21st century. So to continue this conversation, here with us again are Professors Robert Nichols and Bob Watson. Hello. Um Welcome to our sort of our podcast looking at the future of international climate assessment. I'm very pleased to have Bob Watson sharing his thoughts on this topic. Bob is a, a former um, strategic director of the Tyndall Center, um, but now based in Virginia. And he has a lot of experience on this issue of climate assessment. And you touched on like maybe making IPCC best work more closely together. Are there examples where you can see that things are, are happening now or things that could happen in maybe very short time that could really make a difference um, over the next four or five years? I, I'm actually quite optimistic about it. Um, IPCC and ITBES have already planned a joint workshop to discuss climate biodiversity interactions. I think this is a first good step towards their collaboration. In fact, the UK government uh, volunteer to have the meeting in the UK uh, and it was meant to occur in, uh, in, in May. Unfortunately because of Covid it's had to be, uh, it's had to be delayed. Uh, whether or not it will be a real meeting or a virtual meeting but it is on schedule still to take place later this year. That I think is incredibly important. It best is scoping what we call a nexus assessment. And it's going to assess all of the interactions, relevant interactions, obviously, between climate, biodiversity, food, water, and human health and energy. And so one will effectively look at how does climate change affect food, water, human health? How would loss of biodiversity affect food, water, and human health? But also, how do the way we produce our food and use our food, produce our energy, use how do they back interact and affect the climate and the biodiversity systems? So that is also going to be a very integrated assessment. It's currently being scoped. Hopefully, it will be approved uh, by the IPBES plenary at their next meeting uh, sometime next year. Uh, where I would say IPCC and ITBES can work together, and they already are to some degree, and work together even more, is even more focus on plausible futures and the response options. Uh, both assessments need to focus much more on the future, the solution space rather than the problems. We all know what the problems are with climate change, the problems of losing biodiversity. The question is, how could the system evolve in the future? What futures will be sustainable, both with respect to climate change, biodiversity, and the myriad of UN Sustainable Development Goals? What futures do we want to avoid? So clearly, uh, we need to work together much more on the solution space. The plausible uh, future models. We need models now that fully integrate in an interactive way 
all of the issues, climate change, loss of biodiversity, land degradation, air and water pollution, and the issues of food, water, and human health fully embedded in these models. We're moving in the right direction that clearly the climate community is well ahead of the biodiversity community. They're now starting to work together to get these much more integrated models. And that's the information, both qualitative and quantitative, that decision makers will need. I also believe, and I think actually the COVID pandemic has shown us a lot of good work can be done even if we don't have face-to-face -face meetings. Now, while I believe face-to-face -face meetings are crucial for many things, I do believe now we can use web-based approaches to assessing knowledge far more than we've done in the past. The sort of science brief approach being forwarded by Corinne LeCure here at UEA. More use of teleconferences. So I think we can think through how can we be efficient in the way we do our assessments, having face-to-face -face meetings when required, but also using other approaches, basically. I would also argue, and I'm to blame for much of it, that we need shorter assessments, punchy assessments. The last IPCC had three volumes of a thousand pages each. Very few people read all of that. So what we really need to do, and especially for policymakers, decision makers, what are the new results? How do our results now compare to what they were five years ago? So I think a crucial issue in IPCC and ITBES is to actually say, what has the information in the last five years done to confirm previous findings or modify previous findings? Do they modify the confidence limits? So I think we need to give much more thought to short, punchy documents that everyone has more time to read. So thanks. So um, what then, you know, what, is, what do you think needs to be taken forward to address, I say, the environmental and also developmental challenges that we face uh, through the 21st century? I mean, you've touched on the SDGs there, I think, as well. You, you've talked about IPBES and biodiversity quite a bit. I thought maybe it might be worth just thinking a little bit about the SDGs and development. One, one point I would make, uh, which I should have answered in the previous question is, have we made any progress at looking at more integrated assessments? Um, Eva Bastet from Norway and myself are co-chairing an assessment, 25 scientists all involved in previous assessments, a, a, a science committee also involved in science policy interface and assessment. We're writing an integrated synthesis document that synthesizes all of the recent IPCC documents from the fifth assessment, 1.5 oceans and land, the land degradation, regional and global assessment of IPBES, chemicals outlook two, the recent GEO document, the recent GBO document, that's global biodiversity outlook, uh, uh, global environmental outlook, chemicals two and the resource panel. So we're putting together a relatively punchy document in the context of the policy framework and the SDGs that you've just talked about. So hopefully this will be a useful document, Rachel Warren's involved in it, but it does speak directly to policymakers. What do we need to do effectively to realize the SDGs? What we have to realize at the moment is we've failed 
to achieve any of the 20 Aichi targets, any of them. We've made good progress in some areas, but we have not really achieved any of them. And we have to understand why we haven't achieved them. The drives of change continue unabated, basically. So it's not a surprise. We continue to lose biodiversity. And as I've said, losing biodiversity has implications uh, for social issues, development issues and economic issues. We're not on a pathway to the UNFCC Paris goal of limiting climate change to well below two degrees Celsius and even the aspirational target of 1.5. We're going to pass the 1.5 target in the 2030s. We'll pass the, the two degrees Celsius target probably between 2060 and 2070 unless Governments around the world significantly strengthen their commitments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Russia hasn't made any commitments. Uh, the commitments of most countries do not put us on a path to 1.5 or 2. They put us on a pathway of 3 to 4 Celsius. Again, climate change undermining the social development aspirations we have. And we're also failing to achieve land neutrality, where we're still degrading our land accidentally or sometimes purposefully by conversion. And what we have to realize, unless we realize these environmental goals, we cannot achieve the economic and social goals under the sustainable development goals of elimination of poverty, food for all, healthy environments for all, equity, a, a, a peace. All of these things depend on getting our environmental situation sorted out. Well, well, thank you there, Bob. I think that was a fascinating guide to this sort of this area, and I think insight into where we are and where we where we need to go, and maybe also how we can actually achieve it, both in climate assessment, but clearly also in a range of other issues linked strongly to climate assessment. Um, any closing sort of summary remark you'd like to make? Well, first what I'd like to say is, how do we take these issues forward? How do we face the environmental and development challenges of the 21st century? As I said, we've got to look at all the environment and development issues together. We have to recognize these issues are environmental, but they're economic, they're development, they're security, they're moral, social, and equity. We need a transformation of our economic system. We need to eliminate distortionary subsidies. We need to internalize externalities into the price of our goods. We need to use inclusive wealth, not GDP, to see whether we've got sustainable economic growth. We need to embrace a circular economy and we need incentives to stimulate sustainable production and consumption. As I said earlier, we need to embrace the diverse concepts around value. We need multi-sectoral planning and management. We can't look at the agricultural sector independent of the water sector or the transportation sector or the energy sector. They all interact with each other. So we have to develop policies that simultaneously address the challenges of food and water and energy. We also have individual and collective actions we can do. We should make sure that we don't waste food, water and energy. We should look at our own diets to say, are they good for our own human health? Are they sustainable? 
Do they impact on the environment? We need polycentric governance structures. We need all stakeholders at the table. They all have to have voice, not only governments, but the private sector, NGOs, and indigenous and local people. We have to make sure that vested interests don't dominate the debate. We have to make sure that we deal with power symmetries. We need to be open and transparent in how decisions are made. We not only have vested interests in the private sector, we have them in governments, local to national governments, and at the international level. So we have to recognise our vested interests and deal with them as appropriate. But we also have to recognise when we get the price of things right, like appropriate pricing for water or appropriate pricing for food, there are many, many poor and socially disadvantaged people in the world. And therefore, we need social safety nets to make sure the poor and disadvantaged still have reasonable and good lifestyles. No one should be left behind the goal of the sustainable development. And of course, education, all the way from uh, primary school to secondary school to universities play an absolutely crucial role. Universities are absolutely critical in making sure not only we do, do we generate knowledge, but make sure everybody is educated. Lifelong learning is crucial. But we also need good reproductive health in order to help make sure that fertility rates are kept under the control. We need to recognize what came out of the Cairo conference in that 1994. Uh, obviously, contraception needs to be socially acceptable. We need to educate girls and we need to empower women. If we do those, fertility rates will come down drastically, basically. And now as we face the pandemic, hopefully as we have our economic stimulus packages to recover uh, from the pandemic, they will move in the direction of being green and sustainable, basically. However, while some countries, and I'm optimistic about Europe, I'm much more pessimistic about many countries around the world, including my own here in the United States, that will not transform into a society that takes climate change and biodiversity seriously, at least not at the present. We can only hope in the future that the US will one day go back and take a leadership position on all of these issues. So clearly, there is a very rich agenda of research there's a very rich agenda of integrating climate change into the other environmental issues of biodiversity and also integrating into what the average person around the world cares about. And that is food, water security, energy security, good human health, a lack of conflict and strife. Tyndall can play a crucial role in this transdisciplinary, multidisciplinary world. Your interaction with stakeholders local to national, absolutely critical. Your involvement in the international assessment debates, absolutely critical. And your input into the conventions at their side effects all play a crucial role. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity for this conversation. Well, thank you very much. I think, again, very sort of inspiring. Um, in terms of Tittle Centre going forward, I mean, lots and lots of material there to be thought about today and for years to come. And I think particularly for COP26, which the UK is cheering in about 12 months, yeah. very, very useful for that.
and a very nice, I think, also a very nice record of the of the Tyndall 2020 assembly where you get me where you first sort of raised these ideas. So it's great to hear from you and thank you very much indeed. Sure. Bye. Thank you, Robert. Really appreciate it. Bye. Hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed our video podcast. In the second part, we talked about a couple of assessments that are currently in progress. The first is the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services. And the second one is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And the next, we assessed whether we are meeting our environment and sustainability goals. We learned that we are failing to meet the 20 IG goals of the Convention on Biological Diversity and that we are not on the pathway to meet the Paris Agreement goal of well below 2 degrees Celsius. We are also failing to achieve the land neutrality goal of the United Nations Convention to combat desertification. And we are also not on track to achieve most of the sustainable development goals. But Professor Watson reminds us what we can do to take these issues forward and address these challenges. He emphasized the need to address these environment and development issues together. We need to acknowledge that climate change, loss of biodiversity, land degradation, and air and water pollution are not only environmental issues, but they are also economic, development, security, social, moral, and equity issues. So thanks for tuning in to this video podcast, and we hope to see you again in our next episodes.